Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. This is Newsroom Robots, the podcast where we explore the intersection of artificial intelligence and the news industry. I'm Nikita Roy, data scientist, media entrepreneur, and one of the many founders currently building their ventures at the Harvard Innovation Labs. On the Newsroom Robots, I'm excited to bring you insightful conversations with industry experts about how AI is impacting the way we do journalism. This week again, we have another recording from the Online News Association's Onwards event from a panel I moderated on misinformation, AI and elections, the role of the news industry in safeguarding democracy in the AI era. Joining me on the panel is Charlie Beckett, Professor and Founding Director of POLIS, the international journalism think tank at the London School of Economics, and Munmun De Chaudhry, the Associate Professor of Interactive Computing at Georgia Institute of Technology. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. Thank you for joining us on today's panel on misinformation, AI, and elections, the role of the news industry in safeguarding democracy in the AI era. I'm Nikita Roy, and I'm the host of the Newsroom Robots podcast, and I'm joined today by our expert panelists. Joining me is Charlie Beckett, the professor of Department of Media and Communications at the London School of Economics and the founding director of POLIS, LSC's international journalism think tank. Charlie also leads the POLIS journalism and AI project, and he's been the director of the LSC's Truth, Trust and Technology Commission, which reported on the misinformation crisis in 2018. Also joining me is Munmun Di Chowdhury, Associate Professor of Interactive Community at Georgia Tech. Munmun is best known for laying the foundation of a new line of research that develops computational techniques for understanding and improving mental health outcomes through the ethical analysis of social media data. Munmun's work has been recognized by multiple awards and recognitions, and her research has contributed to the Office of the U.S. Surgeon General's Advisory on the Healing Effects of Social Connection. So we are all here today to 
dive into a topic that's not only crucial for journalists, but for anyone who really values the essence of democracy, which is uh, the truth. So we're here to tackle the big issue of misinformation, which is now intensified by the advancements in artificial intelligence and what that means for elections. This issue is not new. We have already seen misinformation, which has been proliferated in the rise of social media era, and it's had the ability to shake the very foundation of democratic dialogues in the past. And fast forward now to today, we are on the cusp of a new era, one that is really augmented by generative AI technologies like chat GPT, image and video generation tools, and Though these tools are really remarkable in what they can produce, they have the ability to easily produce endless amounts of text on any topic in any tone from any perspective in a very convincing voice. And so this is a big challenge we'd be facing this upcoming election cycle where bad actors have the potential to spin out misinformation and disinformation at an unprecedented scale and sophistication making it a real challenge to separate fact from fiction. And as we know, a democracy, it needs people who have access to accurate information to make informed decisions. However, with AI's advanced capabilities, it now has a power to supercharge lies. And so what I'm hoping for today's discussion is just a step towards understanding the problem better, brainstorming solutions to prepare us for an industry that will be entering a really critical period of covering elections. The news industry will cover over 60 crucial elections across the globe in 2023 and 2024. So what does this mean for our role as journalists? How can we keep the public informed and democracy strong in the generative era? So to explore all these topics, I have Charlie and Munman who have been working in this space for a really, really long time. And so Munman, I'd like to start with you. You have researched AI-generated misinformation, and you were one of the authors of a journal research article published earlier this year on understanding AI-generated misinformation and evaluating algorithmic and human solutions. So could you help start off the conversation by helping us understand with generative AI's capability now to produce misinformation through text generation tools like chat, GPT, image generation tools, what do you see as the biggest challenge that's facing the news industry during the election cycle? All right. Thank you very much, Nikita. That's a wonderful question. So I'll start by telling you a little bit about what generative AI tools really are. So these are essentially an easy way to understand is to think of them as auto-completion tools on steroids. So, you know, when we type in our search query on our favorite search engine, we type two words and then it suggests a list of, you know, five options, which could be the third word. Think about this, but at the scale of now sentences and paragraphs, multiple paragraphs, essays, and so on. So essentially what these are doing, these tools are doing, are uh, producing language, auto-completing language. So they are language models. These tools are language models. They're not information models, certainly not information quality models. It's actually really good when prompted with a topic, idea, question, whatever you like, it can create a nice, coherent story that builds on that idea. It will read nice. It can probably get grade level quality if checked by a teacher. But what it doesn't do is that it has no idea about what it's saying. That means that it can create information that is actually inaccurate. 
So now that is a huge problem, right? Because we are talking about news where you just don't want to create stories that are appealing, read well, that are coherent, but also they need to be factual. Here is the other layer of problem, is that when humans are asked to write articles, even if they're not accurate, they would know that. But these models are not humans, certainly not self-conscious by any stretch of imagination. So we are in a situation where we we have these tools that are really good at creating information and stories, but they don't understand the implications of creating different types of information. What happens when it creates something that is untrue? So some of the biggest threats that we have seen in our work is that we have a set of tools in our hands which are really good at writing, but they are now being used for purposes that go far beyond writing. In journalism, actuality matters. And now when these models and these tools start to be adopted in domains where information quality is such an important piece, we are faced with a situation where we don't know when should we trust these tools and use these tools and when should they not. So these are like language generators, not really knowledge generators, and that kind of makes it difficult to decipher between fact and fiction, right? Charlie, your experience, you've led research efforts on misinformation like back in 2018 and now with the Journalism AI Project. You're kind of at the forefront as well, helping out newsrooms across the globe with AI and helping them understand how to deal with it. So I'm really interested in getting your thoughts on the situation that we find ourselves in today. What are the new challenges that you're foreseeing for the news industry? Yeah, well, as you say, we just published a global survey of what newsrooms around the world are doing with AI and with generative AI, how they're reacting to the amazing you know, explosion of that technology this year. And there's a big message out there, which is that they have very positive hopes for the technology. They can see already that it could make them more efficient, more effective, and better connected to audiences. They're very worried about their ability to adopt the technology. They're scared that they're going to fall behind the other actors in the information sphere. And they're worried about inequalities between smaller newsrooms, perhaps, or non-English language newsrooms. So there's concern there. And there's definitely a big concern about disinformation. Many of the newsrooms we spoke to are indeed facing elections. You know, you've got one coming up in the States. Uh, we'll probably get one in the UK. But there's loads of other, there always are, of course, crucial elections coming up. Now, the situation is that the information sphere is already riddled with disinformation and manipulation and so on. And in many countries, it's as much politicians who are manipulating information or even manipulating the media or indeed the media itself. So I don't think we should think there's some sort of technological fix to this. Certainly, there's a lot that the AI and generative AI can do to sort of help journalists filter all that amazing amount of stuff and help them to categorize and sort out better information from worse information. It also helps them to sort of see the sources of the disinformation. That's really important. Journalism can't clean up the internet, but it can identify who is spreading the worst kind of the material, and that's helping citizens to make better informed choices. But in the end, it's going to be very messy because we can see with trying to moderate social media, for example, you know, there's such a danger that you end up closing down certain voices, especially more marginal voices, perhaps, when you try and establish some sort of consensus. So I think in a way, we have to accept that it's going to be a bit of a fight out there. 
and it's going to be more unstable in the next year or two because of generative AI. But there is lots that you can do as journalists and as citizens. Most of it is one sense, as I say, don't rely on the technology. It's about making good editorial decisions. It's about making sure that your journalism is better verified. So it acts as a kind of haven uh, for electors or just citizens. And they're surrounded by all this confusing and unreliable data and information. Yeah. And I just want to get deeper into that as well. As we have all of these new technologies, we're also having like deep fakes, which were already an issue, but it's getting better and better with technology right now, creating all of these realistic videos, manipulating, alterating videos and recordings and becomes a real danger when informing the public on especially heavy, important elections. So Munman, as well, going back to you, given this like evolving nature of like how AI has been convinced, creating convincing texts and deep fakes, what are like unique challenges that you see as an industry that we will be fighting with in this like information ecosystem that you think we'll need to counter? Yeah, so these tools are not just generative AI tools are not just uh, yet another source of bad information, mis or disinformation, but in many ways what we have found in our research is that they have a certain set of qualities which are quite interestingly the qualities we would expect accurate information to have. So what we found is that when we look at AI-generated misinformation, they tended to have more emotionality in them, how a person would express their stories or narratives. We also found that oftentimes these articles tended to enhance certain details. It tended to write in a very persuasive way, cite either erroneous or completely made up references or sources of information. It would communicate uncertainties very convincingly. It would uh, draw certain conclusions and importantly, simulate these personal tones, that personal appeal. So we found that one of the challenges is that when we talk about deep fakes, when we talk about these AI-generated misinformation, just by looking through it or reading through it, it's incredibly hard to figure out that it is actually inaccurate. In fact, to the contrary, when we looked at applying information guidelines that are developed by journalists on these misinformation generated by AI, we found that actually they did satisfy many of those aspects of those guidelines. And that told us that we are entering into this new era where we not just need new ways to discern what these misinformation cues are, but also maybe we need a whole new set of guidelines of how do we even go about evaluating these misinformation. And importantly, but the biggest challenge perhaps is probably this uh, the hype and the trust that uh, many people are putting on AI today, that this is the be all and end all of all the problems in the world and AI has finally arrived. And uh, while I think it makes sense for us to be excited about these technologies, this kind of unilateral trust can really land us in difficult situations because of the problems of misinformation. Yeah, these models have basically been trained on our data. So they mimic all of the guidelines that we have set across and it makes it even harder to decipher what's true and not. And Charlie, just also in your opinion, what do you think is going to be the impact of all of this synthetic media on elections when you're covering? What can we do as a news industry to kind of mitigate that impact? I don't think it's necessarily about elections, frankly. I think We've overestimated in the past the degree of influence that some of these disinformation campaigns have. There's not much evidence that they have 
done much to actually push a vote one way or the other. What I think they can do, though, is kind of amplify a certain trend such as cynicism and polarisation and so on. They certainly don't drive it. It's the politicians and the public that, that drive polarisation or, or violent speech and so on. But certainly the, the technology can amplify that. The tactics have changed. The people who are seeking to sort of frame issues or frame agendas, they're not just lying. They're not even just putting out propaganda. Often it's just a question of sort of flooding the zone with, you know what, and, you know, just trying to sort of occupy space or distort a debate. And frankly, in some ways, a lot of mainstream media is doing this. The rise of more extreme partisan media around the world, frankly, often sometimes in, you know, controlled by those in power and much more aggressive uh, much more, if you like, campaigning and persuasive. Uh, and that isn't about disinformation as such. It's certainly not technologically generated uh, misinformation. It's coming you know, straight out of sometimes the legitimate and sometimes alternative type uh, news media. So I think that the, you know, the important challenge here for journalists is to certainly you know, pay attention to the, the disinformation, but it's to work harder, I think, uh, partly by using this AI to be a bit more transparent to show your workings to build a relationship with you know your audience where you know you, you are helping in a way it's kind of fostering media literacy but in other words it's just good journalism it's helping people to understand how they might identify better information you've touched on a couple of points there that i want to dig deeper into it's also the fact of like the role of ai is not just to probably generate all of this misinformation, but also is really powerful in helping us as an industry use it to counter it. And with like all of these different ways and the capabilities and limitations of AI, understanding that is really important. So if I may come back to you in this like fight against mis and disinformation, what is the role of AI specifically that we need to be thinking about as a news outlet to leverage it, Charlie? Well, this is twofold. I mean, it's, it's firstly the business of being aware you mentioned deep fakes and so on. I honestly don't think that's so much of a problem for news organizations as such, because, you know, we are supposed to be good at checking our sources. We're supposed to be able to look at an image and say, well, hang on, this is too good to be true. And it probably is. And we're supposed to be able to double check things, double source things, use our experience and use our expertise. And we've seen some really great work from sort of OSINT people, for example, trying to establish the, the truth about something. And I think it's a very healthy trend in journalism, for example, in podcasts, where people talk more about how they're doing their journalism as they do it. And I think that is you know, the way forward. And AI can help a lot with this. One of the things that AI, I think, will be very useful in the newsroom for the individual journalist, for example, or the editor or so on, not just the efficiency of time, but the helping them to get across all the different sources they have, helping them to get across all the other outlets that are reporting on a story. One thing that AI will be good at is doing that, kind of looking to see what's happening on social media, looking to monitor, for example, your expert sources, even sort of banal things like monitoring your emails and your, your newsletters. And I think this kind of helps the journalist to keep the head above water and do the one thing that the journalist can do that AI cannot do, which is make a judgment, a moral judgment or a scientific judgment, you know, sum things up and, and thought about what is 
the reality. And the AI, as Munlam said, it just don't, can't do that. It doesn't know what a fact is. Uh, it just knows how to predict language. Yeah, the value of journalism becomes even more important then in that case of being able to judge. And Munman, what are your thoughts now about the potential of AI really that you can see us in helping augment the work that we do to battle mis- and disinformation? I think uh, building on what Charlie said, I think the first thing for all of us to remember is that AI is not going to solve this problem or practically any problem in the world that we are facing today. But AI can be a good assistance in a lot of these problems, especially when it comes to discerning the good information from the bad. I think journalists, like Charlie was saying, have unique skill set, their experiences. And I think where AI can really be helpful is to bring its own expertise and its own capabilities which often, luckily, are complementary to what journalists are good at. So the path forward, in my view, are models in which humans and machines, uh, broadly speaking, are able to work together. So how do we envision situations where fact-checking work that are typically done by experts? That is now assisted by AI. I envision that there could be uh, opportunities to think about AI in the loop, not human in the loop. And by AI in the loop, that could be the AI assisting the human experts to take in large volumes of information, sifting through them, looking at which ones are likely candidates of being mis- or disinformation, and eventually deferring to the human to make that assessment. I think AI can also be really good at triage and uh, saying which types of information are good. Already counters bad information. It could be from a human. How do we promote that kind of information more? So that the notion of fact-checking or providing diverse perspectives that are already being done by humans, how do we amplify that on these platforms? So AI has a lot of these good abilities, but we'll be moving in the wrong direction if we think that AI will be able to do the things that we cannot do at the moment. Just to what Mumu is saying, we, for example, you know, I think there's sort of new things that we can do as well. And Mumu's quite right. There's no way that AI is going to clean up the internet or something. We're going to be in this situation for a while. We've got a team, for example, we have this kind of collaboration fellowship where people from different news organizations work on a particular issue and try and build a kind of prototype. And one of the teams is looking to use generative AI to do a very clever tool which would monitor MPs' financial interests. So when they have to declare that that they've got a financial interest, they've had a gift or they bought some shares in something, which they have to do in the British system. And then they're linking that to how they vote and what they're talking about. So you get a very dynamic tracking of the relationship between politicians' financing and their political actions. Obviously, you can imagine that working anywhere in the world. And that helps, you know, that helps bring out facts. And that helps us understand our democracy better and helps citizens to, you know, know what their politicians are doing. So AI can do that. That would be incredibly difficult to do that as a human being. But AI might be able to do that really effectively. So it's not all fighting the flames that Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. 
Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Disinformation, there may be opportunities for us to do positive accountability journalism as well. Yeah, that's a great hope of like having AI to do the accountability journalism. But also I want to get your take on this, Charlie. We've also seeing the industry experience a lot of financial difficulties. We've been having a lot of layoffs here in newsrooms, a lot of newsrooms also closing down. Given all of these like financial constraints that we've been dealing with across newsrooms, how do you see the investments that AI requires? You need the technology, you need the human expertise, you need people being able to work on it. How would we as newsrooms be able to invest in that and manage it? Carefully, I think, is is the main thing. This isn't free. Generative AI and AI is not free. You know, you have to pay for the the data and the, the tools. And there's a cost in terms of having the skilled people and having the time to do, you know, to implement it. Some of the tools will be, as I said, there'll be a, perhaps a simple translation or transcription tool that you can just pick up from an app. But if you're going to use it at all systemically, then it's going to be a bit of a commitment and you have to think about it carefully and have a process in place that uh, takes you through. So I can see there's going to be, I think, quite significant efficiency gains. I mean, one person who codes in a newsroom told me, they were getting 80% efficiency gains by using generative AI to help with their coding. That's quite a specialist sort of thing. But I do think, you know, in the same way that previous digital technologies have helped us work faster, quicker, but still accurately and so on. But this isn't some sort of panacea, partly because there's that inequalities thing. You know, if you're a you know well-developed newsroom, then you are going to benefit much more from this, I would argue. You know, you know how to do this. And also... We know the history of adoption of technologies. It does bring efficiencies, but those efficiencies are not evenly spread. And also, the journalists will end up working harder anyway. You know, the idea that the efficiency gain will be handed back to the journalists on a silver platter is unlikely, I think, because as you say, Nikita, there's such a, a economic pressure on media all around the world. And, you know, we work very globally. And I can promise you, I know times are tough for local news in somewhere like the States, but come with me to the rest of the world where for decades it's been really tough. And interestingly, this is even more important, I think, for our mission to try and help them access some of these technologies. Because if you imagine you're a relatively small, under-resourced newsroom somewhere in the so-called global south, and someone comes along and says, you know what, by using this translation tool, you'll suddenly be able to access other markets and suddenly everyone will be able to, you know, you perhaps sell on your content to other places. And that could be a lifesaver. That could be a complete game changer. So the smaller newsrooms are at a disadvantage. On the other hand, perhaps the potential gains could be really, really significant for them. 
Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of potential to be seen in AI and generative AI also just makes it easier to access it than like the bigger models that you're having. That's so important, you know, that yes, it's if you've got a great R&D department, that's fantastic. But anyone can put in a prompt, you know, and start to, in a sense, train themselves how to do it and find out for themselves. I think it's such a good point. This is, I don't want to use the word democratic, it's just a low barrier to accessibility. But also with that low barrier to accessibility, it makes it easier for all of the other bad actors to come in and do the same things yeah. that we would not be yeah. able to. So if I were to ask you, like, because I feel like information literacy has been such a crucial thing that we've been working on. AI literacy is that now becoming really crucial that we need to be focusing on as a news industry, working on seeing how we can educate the public about AI generated misinformation so that they are more well informed going into like important decisions that they would have to make. Personally, I think the AI literacy should start with the journalists. You know, I mean, I don't mean that in a snide way. I mean, genuinely, everyone needs to know a bit about AI because the world you're reporting upon is going to be AI as a story there, whether you're reporting on health or security, whatever. But also, you are going to be using these tools. I promise you, you probably are ready. So you should know at least some basics about it, what it can do, what it can't do, what are the risks, what are the opportunities. So I think that AI literacy starts in the newsroom. And then I think it's a good idea to talk to your customers, audience, whatever, about what you're doing with AI. Not as particularly as a transparency thing, but if you say, hey, we are using generative AI to make a fantastic personalized newsletter, you know, there's going to give you a, a selection of news that's more relevant to where you live, for example. And we're doing that with generative AI. So people think, okay, that's how it works. That's what it can do. So I think that kind of literacy through a relationship is always the best way to teach and to learn anyway, isn't it? Yeah. You know, people passing on, sharing, talking about this new technology. And as you say, make sure you get the, the public as part of that conversation, which of course they should be anyway. They should be part of the journalistic conversations. What about you, Minmin? How do you see the role of the news industry in really increasing public awareness related to AI and misinformation? Yeah, I mean, definitely AI literacy needs to be part of, I would argue, the primary education system. Kids growing up these days, they need to know about it as a life skill almost. In terms of role of news media, I think the transparency piece is really important. I mean, if, if there is nothing wrong in using these tools, but I think transparency that the, the information consumers and customers need to know what is coming from the human, what is coming from the AI. So transparency there is going to be very important, but I would also underscore another stakeholder we haven't touched on as much, and that are the technology companies. Many tech companies in the past, in the last decade, we have often heard companies say that we are not media companies. This is misinformation is not our job, obviously. Although many companies had to walk back on that after the 2016 presidential elections in the U.S. But, you know, we are at that moment for these tech companies who are building generative AI tools that, you know, if these tools are now going to be used for news writing, news summarization and, and uh, combating mis and disinformation, I think these companies have a role to play. So this question of transparency kind of goes back to these companies as well. So when they provide these tools, provide a response to a certain prompt, I think we want more transparency as consumers to know how it is coming up with those information that could be easily understandable and accessible. But we also have to think about accountability of these of these tools, right? You know, 
Is there someone who monitors misuse, right? There are always bad actors. So that's a slippery slope, but this is something we do want to think about. If we should monitoring mis- monitor misuses of these tools, how do we keep these, these tools accountable towards societal good? And then who enforces these things? It makes a really good point on, there's no point even having rules unless somebody is going to act upon them. This week, I was very lucky to meet with the top European bureaucrat who's in charge of the Europe, the European Union's AI bill, you know, which is virtually ready to go, he, he tells me. It's almost finished. And he says it can cope with the generative AI developments too. And that is at least trying to put in a framework of transparency. For example, there's a requirement that they allow access to researchers and academics so we can actually sort of see what's going on. They're not going to monitor content, and I'm really glad they're not going to do that, because that'd be an absolute nightmare. But at least they're trying to do what you know, the kind of framework, which I think Mumin's talking about there, where you've got some sense that these tech companies have got responsibilities. I think we all learned that lesson. How politicians deal with it will vary. Obviously, in the States, you have a quite different approach to this kind of regulatory issue to the one that is taken in Europe, for example. But you certainly journalists, I think, yeah, a part of that conversation about responsibility. And perhaps, you know, journalists have to be a little bit more aware of their own responsibilities, not just the tech companies. Yeah. And you both bring up a really important point about also, I'm thinking about generative AI search. These technology companies are not just going to be the people who are producing and developing all of these AI models. They're also coming into the business of delivering that information through text. When you ask now Bard, Microsoft, Bing Chat, OpenAI just has their feature enabled where you can connect to the web so you can get information, current information now. So they're the ones going to be deciding what information should be put up in search, what information should they be summarizing and giving to a user who asks it. And so now the information ecosystem is not just the news, but we have these tech companies deciding what the information is going to be. So Munmun, how should we be thinking about all of the role of the tech companies, really, delivering of information that they're going to be focusing on? And what does that really mean for the news industry, then, if they're going to decide what information they're going to show and talk about? I really think tech companies should not be the arbiters of truth and false information. That's not what they're good at. That's not their job. We have real people whose you know, job has been that, and we should let those people do that work. I think, you know, many tech companies have started to adopt that path. I know that Meta collaborates with fact-checking organizations, so they are not unilaterally making decisions of what is correct or incorrect information being shared on their platforms, but it's coming from the experts. But I think the really their role is, tech companies' role is what they're really good at, which is to empower people with information. And, and the more transparency they can provide, if people are getting stuck into these filter bubbles, getting a certain kind of information, where the impact of misinformation is likely to be much higher. Maybe thinking about how do we, how can they introduce more diverse perspectives into the feeds of these individuals who are using these platforms. I think another thing these companies can do is to partner with communities to different kinds of pointers that these are types of information. This is an information that is corroborated by a certain company or speaks to the voices of a certain company and providing and empowering the users with those sources, with those information, but leaving it, leaving it up to the person or the experts to really decide what is true or untrue. 
Exactly. And we also have some questions coming in. And so I want to get to that as well. I think, Munman, this ties in perfectly for you as well. Tech companies lied about self-driving cars, which is just fancy cruise control. So how can we explain to people inside and outside newsrooms that AI is just fancy autocomplete? I would say that self-driving cars are fancy cruise control, but which are more dangerous because your cat is crossing the street it's probably not going to see the cat crossing the street. And that is what I was saying earlier, is that we tend to trust AI machines in general, but especially if that machine has AI in it way too much, way more than the deserve. And part of it is honestly the companies themselves or the media to blame behind all that hype that, you know, AI has arrived and finally we have that we have AI that is going to take over the human race and make us slaves to machines. None of that is going to happen, at least in our lifetimes. But what can happen is probably equally worse if not at the absolute worst. So I think we really are, we are at a point where we need to ground what these technologies can and cannot do. And that can be in the form of these AI literacy tools so that, you know, we are not in the situation where we are either very mistrusting of AI or so much trusting of AI that we think that it's going to take care of all our problems. And that has to start in maybe primary education for kids. And Charlie, how do you say we should be thinking about AI as a newsroom and not just buying into the hype that is there right now? I actually, I like the hype simply because it brings people's attention throughout, well, everyone's attention to what the technology can or can't do. But I think this is actually more than just fancy autocomplete. I understand the point the question's making there, which is it's functional. And as we keep saying, it's not some miracle intelligence machine. It's a tool, but it is an incredibly impressive tool and at least the potential, and we'll see. I mean, our next task with my journalism AI project is to spend from here in the next 12 months to saying, what works, what works, what difference does it make? Is it just making a bit quicker and faster or is there something significantly different? And I think there is, at least in the way that you know, we've all got used to it now, but the smartphone had such a profound impact on the whole information, cultural, relationship, politics, social relations, and so on. Massively important. And I think that these technologies have the potential to reorientate the way that we communicate, the way that we gather information, and the way that we formulate it. You mentioned earlier, Nikki, to the idea of voice. You know, I remember five years ago, everyone was saying, oh, voice is the big thing because of Alexa. And that didn't happen, but it's quite different this time. I think we're almost looking at a situation where you're almost moving beyond the smartphone. You know, you just be talking to something. You'll have a microphone and that will do it all, potentially. Now, I could be completely wrong, but I think there's the potential there. I'm even coming around to the metaverse, you know. I'm starting to think, well, actually, this is going to be more congruent to the rest of people. At the moment, it's completely weird. And you'd never go into the better because it makes you feel nauseous. But I think it's going to become more congruent with generative AI, you know, that environment where we are much more expectant of being able to have a very direct relationship with information and conversations. I'm slightly, I'm talking sort of rather airy stuff here, but my gut instinct, and I know you're not supposed to say that as an academic or even as a journalist, but, you know, I've been through a load of, profound techno-journalistic changes. 
over whatever the last 40 years that I've been working. And this one, to me, feels like more than just an upgrade. I think this is going to reorientate for all sorts of reasons, partly to do with power, the economy, you know, the fact that, for example, there are relatively, you know, there's quite a few companies trying to do the large language modeling. So it's not like Mm -hmm. Google's control over search, for example, or Facebook's dominance of certainly Western social networks. You know, so I think it's a very unstable period. I say that, and I think that something we're going to reemerge. And I, paradoxically, I'm actually quite convinced that the legacy media will still be around in 10 years. This is not one of those things, are we going to lose all the newsrooms? That's not the real question. The real question will be, what on earth will a newsroom look like? And they are already looking different. You know, when I go into them, there are people with job tiles that didn't exist a few weeks ago, and people doing things that news organisations didn't used to do even 12 months ago. So that to me makes me feel that, you know, I don't want to get too poetic, but, you know, things are shifting. It's a hopeful future that you're painting for it's us. Terrible. It's terrible. Right. It could be a horrible future, but, you know, <laughs> you know, we're humans. We've got a capacity for wonderful invention, but also an ability to screw most things up. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I definitely agree with you. I think there's probably a difference over here with large language models because, yeah, you're having all the big players, Google, OpenAI, creating all these mm. big models. But also, if you go on to Hugging Face, you have so many open source models. People are just able to create, deploy them, and then run them on their own machines. And- well, I'm talking to people so- elsewhere, call it what you want, global stuff, whatever, Indian companies building large language models of their own. Even a Czech company I met this week who are building their own language model based on their archive and so on. So there's a sort of, perhaps it's not quite so monolithic as things have been. I don't know. I would say that that is much needed uh, to have large language models in languages that is not English. Because currently we are, you know, some of the amazing abilities that we uh, benefit from these tools, they are kind of limited to the English language. And if, if we want to scale it, then we certainly need those more other diverse language models to also be there. And also in these last few minutes that we have, I kind of want to wrap up with getting both of your takes. Munman, if you start with you right now with all AI just progressing and evolving so quickly, and then misinformation, everything coming around, what do you see news outlets should focus on right now when dealing with AI, this threat of misinformation, elections, and all of these issues coming? The line between what is truth and what is false information that has gotten even harder to discern now. It was getting harder already, but now we are in a, in a situation where we're almost in, in an arms race, whether or not we like it, in terms of how good these models are getting and how quickly we can uh, get a handle on the problems that they're creating for us. So I think transparency, education, and literacy are sort of the three pillars I see going forward that will be super critical. I mean, like Charlie was saying, these tools are going to redefine what what news looks like in the near future. So it's a little hard to predict what challenges we're going to see and which are the challenges we need to prioritize. But I think information quality and credibility are definitely going to be really important questions that are going to persistently remain very important in the coming future. Exactly. And Charlie, your last take on what you think newsrooms should focus on right now. Yeah, well, they shouldn't wait for the politicians to sort this out. That's the first thing. You know, the politicians often have a self-interest in a bad information environment. 
But also, a lot of this, as I keep saying, is not about the tech. When I think about American election coverage, we were talking about elections in this session, and there's some fantastic journalism in America around politics and so on. But so much of it is obsessed by the latest opinion poll, you know, the horse race coverage, and no one ever stops to verify policy statements. No one ever starts, really seeks to find out what people care about out in the real world and so on. So that's a human journalistic industry problem, I think, is that we keep saying AI can help you to do that better. It can help you to understand, you know, what your audience cares about. It can help you to give them information in formats that they find accessible. So it won't solve the political problem because that's about politics. You know, it won't suddenly get rid of bad actors. It won't suddenly get rid of partisan manipulation at all. All it can do is, we hope, strengthen the ability of those journalists who are trying to do what I would call better job. I'm actually quite sort of, what's the word, not defeatist, but I kind of think, look, we can't moderate the internet to make it beautifully rational and intelligent and so on. That's not the world we live in. In ways, thank God, actually. I like the idea of rough edges of humanity and a mixture and plurality and so on. So I think it's very much a question of journalists focusing on what they do best. And the evidence is that at times like elections or other crises, people will turn to them. That's a really good note to end on. Munmun, your take about transparency, information and literacy, focusing on and Charlie, uh, just keep doing what we do. And AI is going to help better strengthen the journalism that we do. So that's a really optimistic, positive view that I'd like to end on. And thank you so much, Munmun and Charlie, for joining me on this conversation. And thank you to ONA for having us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. That was Charlie Beckett professor and founding director of POLIS at the London School of Economics, and Munman De Chaudhry, the associate professor of interactive computing at Georgia Institute of Technology. Thanks to the Online News Association for hosting this panel. This episode is made possible thanks to the Harvard Innovation Lab's Spark Grant. I'm Nikita Roy, and this is Newsroom Robots. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.